Hello, I'm Yossi Silverman, Jewish educator, licensed tour guide, and you are listening to The History of Judaism, the story of the Jews told from an educated Jewish perspective. This is the fourth podcast, Isaac and Rebecca, Yitzchak and Rivka, the other Hebrew. Last time we left off with the death of the first Hebrew, the father of the group that became the Jews, we introduced Isaac, or Yitzchak, and Rebecca, or Rivka. We're going to carry on from there, and we're going to tell the story of Yitzchak, and we're going to focus specifically on the role that Rivka plays. Who is Yitzchak, and what does he do? At first glance, he doesn't do many things. He pretty much does the same stuff as Avraham. The text says he redigs the wells that Avraham dug. He even gets into the same awkward scenes that Avraham gets into, including going to Gerar. He doesn't tell Avimelech, that's right, it's the same Avimelech after all these years, that he's married. Avimelech courts Rivka, and then he notices that Yitzhak is, uh, the text actually says, fooling around with his sister. And he says, hang on a minute. We've been here before. She's not your sister, is she now? You're one of those funny Hebrew people. There are a few positive things you can say. The text tells us that he never leaves Canaan. That means he's a patriot. He makes peace with the locals, and making peace is a very important thing. He continues Abraham's work. He's the epitome of continuity. And, oh goodness, this is boring. Is this what we've come to? I know, all very nice and good, but it's not really the same as Avram. Avram leaves everything he knows. Avram talks to God. Avram fights kings. Avram pleads for Sodom. And Yitzchak seems a, a little bit less active, really. That is, if you think the story is about Yitzchak. I don't think it is. The chapter dealing with things he does here is to show us he is the peaceful basis, the backdrop to the story. So if he's the backdrop, that's a theatrical term, who is in the limelight, the title of the podcast should really be Cue Music. Rivka, the other Hebrew. We flash back to Avram. Just about to die, he orders his servants to make an oath on Abraham's circumcision, blimey, that's going to be serious, to find a girl from the other side of the river for his son. He makes it abundantly clear that Yitzchak is not to marry a Canaanite and not a Hittite, but one of their own. The unnamed servant travels back over the Euphrates River, or tributary of said river, to Aram Naharaim, literally Aram of the two rivers. This could just mean Mesopotamia, which means the land between two rivers. Uh, there's also Naharaim, a very interesting word, because in Egyptian documents from the Middle Bronze Age, they refer to this area as some kind of NHR sounding word. Nahar, Naharaim, Naharu, something like that. So off the servant trots to Aram Naharaim, he searches out a well and he makes a vow that if a member of Abraham's family should come along and help him, he'll see it as a sign that he's on the correct path. 
As luck or divine intervention would have it, who does he meet? Rivka, who is, wait for it, the daughter of Batuel, who is the son of Nahor, Nahor, the brother of Abraham. She gives his camels water. He is delighted by this. The servant gives her a pair of gold earrings and a gold nose ring and some gold bracelets. She runs and shows it to her father, Batuel, and her brother, Whitey. That's right, Whitey. Lavan, the name in Hebrew of, of her brother, also Laban in King James Greek influence English. In proper English, if you translate it, it comes to a name like Whitey. Lavan means white. I like that. It gives it a kind of like gangsterish appearance in my mind. They invite this unnamed servant to stay with them. He tells them his mission, and he sh then showers them again in gifts. Betuel says, that's Rivka's father, Mehashem yatsar hadavar, lo nuchal daber elecha ra o tov. This thing came from God. We can't speak to you to know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay, this guy comes from Canaan with a whole caravan of goodies, gives your daughter a king's ransom of gold jewellery, announces the intention of his lordship to marry off his son to your daughter, and this thing came from God. We can't know whether it's good or bad. It's a good thing. Then he says, here is Rivka, take her and go. This is clearly some kind of bargaining thing again. No, no, take my daughter for free. It's your God that says so, of course. Yes, why not? Your God. If I was to say, here, have a job in a blue chip company, you say, well, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It means you think it could possibly be a bad thing, doesn't it? And then this whole business with take her and go, well, you're trying to make me look like a cheapskate. You want more stuff? So that's exactly what the servant does. He showers Batuel in gold and livestock. Now, the whole take my daughter and go, that's a show. Because later on, they ask Rivka's opinion in the matter, which wouldn't have an opinion in the matter if it was just take my daughter and go. Then even before they ask an opinion, they have the big betrothal party. We wake up the next day to find Batuel mysteriously disappeared from the text. One translator, Jonathan ben Uziel, suggests that he wanted to detain the servant, forcing more and more money out of Avram, so the angel of death promptly kills him. So Whitey, or Lavan, continues on the detaining tactic. He says, well, you could stay here for longer, you know, maybe a few days, maybe ten days. Okay, ten days is not a little bit of time. Obviously, we're trying to detain the servant here. Then he finally pops the question to Rivka. Rivka, do you want to go with this guy? And she says, yes. Okay, it's not a very big speaking part. And she does get better ones. But it's fairly definitive. And if her family has big plans to keep this important servant captive and get more and more money out of Avraham, then she's not playing along. And she is already not one of them. She's an outsider. She is already an Ivory. She moves to Canaan 
Her first meeting with Yitzchak is really weird. Uh, he's out doing something in the field. We're not sure what it is. It uses the Hebrew word lasuach, which could mean having a conversation. It could possibly mean praying. It could possibly be something agricultural. We're not actually sure. She sees Yitzchak and she nearly falls off her camel. Why? We're not sure with this again. It may be it's love at first sight. The eminent biblical scholar of Eva Zornberg, that's a contemporary one, claims she was actually scared. I don't know why she was scared. We really don't know what's going on here. It's very strange. She provides comfort to Yitzchak over his mother's death. Later on, she gets pregnant with twins, and the text talks about really weird pregnancy pains. So Rivka asks God what's going on. Yeah, ask God, the last person to talk to God on a one-on-one -on -one basis, that was Abraham. Unless you want to take a lasuach to mean talking with God. God tells her that two nations are struggling in her womb. Please pay attention to the role she plays in the next bit. So she has two sons, one red and hairy, as opposed to Lavan, or Whitey, her brother. So Asav it comes out, and then hanging onto Asaph's heel is Yaakov, and that's something to do with the heel of something, or surmounting something, or dealing with something in an underhand manner, possibly. Jacob, in King's James, it's English. Yaakov sits around all day by the tents. He's simple. Asaph is a hunter. One day Yaakov makes a stew of lentils. The King James calls this a mess of pottage. I do not recommend reading the King James for good translation, but it certainly has nice turns of phrases and idioms here. So the King James calls that a mess of pottage. Esav doesn't just ask for a bowl of this pottage. He says, let me swallow that red, red thing. Really weird words. And then he also includes at the end of the phrase, lest I die. A bit extreme. Then he swaps his birthright with Yaakov for said mess of pottage. Esav is a hungry hunter type person. Bestial, drawn by the redness of the stew, hardly a fitting leader of the new group. The next story about Esav, the text mentions in passing, and but nothing's in passing. But it's very important to note he marries two Hittites. Now, firstly, Avram himself makes a monologue about not marrying out of the group. You know, all of this make an oath on my circumcision business. Secondly, Hittites. Hittites, like Ephraim the Hittite, from the last podcast, the guy who embarrasses Avram into paying more for burial ground. That's not the qualities we want in this new group, is it? And the text reports the sadness of his parents. What does Yitzchak do? Seemingly not very much. It's Rivka who acts. She waits until Yitzchak, who's also convinced he's going to die, asks Asav to bring him a fine, freshly hunted venison stew. We're into our stews here. Uh, so he can bless Asav. So he can die in comfort by eating venison stew. So for some reason, this comfort means that he'll be able to give a blessing properly and give Asav his birthright, the one he's sold. She tells Yaakov to dress up as Esav, and Yitzchak, who in his aged state is blind, won't know that it's not it's him and not Esav. She'll make a goat stew taste like a venison stew, and he can steal his brother's blessing 
again. This Yakov does without question. This kind of deceptive behaviour we're going to see later is very similar to Lavan, Rivka's brother, but here used for a different purpose, and seemingly this kind of deception, I think that's part of being an Aramean. The text is really strange in describing the interplay between Yitzchak and Yaakov. Yitzchak walks into the room. Yaakov says, is that you, my son? Was he expecting someone else? What's going on here? And Yaakov says, it is I. Your son is Asav. Nice. Right. Not answering the question there. Then he asks again, well, are you Asav or not? And Yaakov just says, "'Tis I." Yitzchak eats the food, and he drinks the wine, and he gives Yaakov a hug, and he says, "'The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Asav." And then he blesses him with the blessing for the firstborn. What is happening here? I know that's my constant question, but there, you really do have to ask it with the biblical text. You can't just take it on face value. What's happening here? What's the deeper meaning? Firstly, from the interactions, the simple story that Yaakov swindled his father into giving him the firstborn blessing is a bit oversimplistic. It is what's happening, but a bit simple there. Yitzchak clearly picks up something's amiss. Secondly, Yaakov, in a very enigmatic style, refuses to answer the question. It is I, your son is Asav, that's not answering the question. Some people try and use this to emphasise the truthfulness of Yaakov. But I think it will make Yitzchak a really bad father not to recognise the style of one son's question avoidance versus another son and how that son answers questions. Especially we're told that one son, his name means the guy who doesn't do things in a particularly direct manner, or Yaakov. I think Yitzchak might know that it's Yaakov. Rivka prepared this goat stew, and even though apparently goat and venison are very similar, they're both very gamey meat. I think a guy who owns vast flocks of goats knows the difference between goat and venison. I think Rivka was sending Yaakov a coded culinary message. The hands are the hands of Asaph, the deeds of Asaph. Asaph is a hunter. Asaph is a wild animal. Asaph is the venison. Asaf is married out. Asaf sells his birthright for a lowly price as a mess of pottage. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, simple Yaakov, who is so honest he can't lie properly. He just comes up with this whole, it is I and Asaf is your son business. After all those years of marriage, he doesn't recognise his wife's food. I think he does recognise his wife's food. I think he recognises that Yaakov is a kind of stable person and Asav isn't. The whole story in the future of these Hebrews is controlled by Rivka. Rivka is the hero. Rivka is the Aramean Hebrew, the subtle instigator. Like Abraham, she left her father's house and went to a new land. Every year at Pesach or Passover, Jews read the Passover story and they include a quotation from Deuteronomy, Arami Oved Avi, which either means... A wandering Aramean was my father, or a wandering Aramean oppressed my father. And I'm going to give this translation a new twist. Who was the first wandering Aramean? Rivka.
it's because of her we're going to discuss next time about Yaakov and his story as a wandering Aramean. But who is it who starts off the wandering? Rivka. Thank you for listening. I'm Yossi Silverman, Jewish educator, licensed tour guide. Feel free to check out my website, scoutisrael.com, where you can see charts and maps and things, or just search for Yossi Silverman on iTunes and please write a review. This is the History of Judaism, signing out. <laughs>